Welcome to Sliding Home, the ultimate baseball performance podcast. My name is Dr. Chris McKenzie, board-certified sports and orthopedic physical therapist, where each week we bring you the secrets of successful baseball training professionals, players, and coaches to help you unlock your true potential so you can dominate on the diamond and achieve your baseball dreams. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let's get after it. All right, welcome back to the show. Got a pretty cool guest on today. You might know him as the master of MPH, Miles Brower, or you may know him as Paul Reddick. So Paul has been into the baseball coaching uh, world, industry, whatever you want to call it, for over 20 years. He knows his stuff. Paul has served as a scout for the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, was a delegate, is a delegate for USA Baseball, and did coach in the Montreal Expo farm system. I had a ton of fun with Paul doing this interview. Um, we touched on some topics on why you're not actually throwing a pitch, but you're performing a rep, like a repetition in the gym. Why you're not really throwing a baseball, but you're actually throwing or you're lifting a weight. And so kind of how we take that mentality of how uh, a good trainer would never really let a person lift, lift a weight incorrectly in the gym, how we kind of let that slip through the cracks when it comes to baseball pitchers uh, and baseball players in general. So um, we need to kind of look at more of a quantitative aspect of, of pitching and pitching performance and how that kind of ties into that the first sign of injury is actually decreased performance, so not being able to hit your targets. Uh, we also discuss uh, a program that Paul is very passionate about. It's called the 567 Pitcher. Uh, this is a program that he's been using for just a little bit here, and it really gets into the what and the why. What motivates our players, our athletes to play, uh, and why? Why does that matter? And not only for the, from the athlete's point of view, like what motivates them, but from the parents and from the coaches, from their point of view, what what is motivating us to motivate our kids? What why why is that important? Uh, and it really it really does get into these deep seated reasons um, that can have such a profound impact on the way that the player actually performs. Um, so I encourage you to listen to this episode. I think you're going to learn a ton. And um, I'm excited for you to hear this. So without further ado, here is Paul Reddick. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. I got a pretty special guest here. Uh, it's actually <laughs> my first time meeting him in person. Yeah. Uh, his name is Paul Reddick. And I'm sure a lot of uh, you guys out there have heard the name, maybe have went through uh, a couple of his courses, a couple of his products. So, uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And this uh, this show is a, a little different. Uh, usually, I do uh, my shows over Skype, uh, but I was only like an hour and a half from Paul, yep. so I decided to come up to his facility here, right in Red Bank, yep, New Jersey. So uh, yep. I am happy to be here. So <laughs> thank you very much for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely, cool. So uh, who is Paul Reddick? How oh, did geez. 
Paul Reddick come to? Depends on who you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So so I'll tell you how my my coaching career started. um, What I thought was the worst thing that was happening to me at age 15 ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me. I flunked off the baseball team. When I was in my sophomore year in, in high school, okay. I was one of those kids where um, up until up until sophomore year of high school, I could not study and not pay attention and not, you know, and still just kind of wing it and have enough to, to pass. Right. And then all of a sudden, like calculus and biology and, uh, you know, wow. yeah. and you're like, oh, you know, I can't do it. So I flunked off the baseball team. I thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me at the time. But I realized that the day I flunked off the baseball team, I started my coaching career. So my high school coach at the time had this collection of VHS tapes in his office that the players could rent, could, you know, sign out and sign back in. So, um, having that whole season to sit back and, uh, not do anything. I started pulling these tapes out and I would, and I became enamored with these coaches, you know, and I didn't, uh, I didn't realize at the time, you you know, when you look back, sometimes you're like, ah, that's when it started, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was, that was the start of my coaching career, really, because I really just started to really think about the game differently. Um, Failing off the baseball team forced me to be a good student. I went right into coaching. I wasn't a great player. Um, You know, I'm I'm the only guy that doesn't have like a story, you know, like, oh, if it wasn't for my shoulder, you know, I'll tell you that if it wasn't for God mixing up the, you know, giving me the, the uh, Irish DNA and then the four inch vertical and the 78 mile an hour fastball, I'd be in the major leagues. Aside from that, I'd be there. So um, that, that's, that's kind of the story. I started coaching at a very young age, worked my up, was lucky, lucky enough to to stumble upon an opportunity. I coached in professional baseball for a few years, Um, uh, spent a lot of time as a scout, um, and a consultant in professional baseball. And as we all know, as baseball coaches, um, you can't kind of make money doing one thing, especially, right. in, you know, you got to piece together your income from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. So I was giving lessons. I was doing camps. I was doing clinics. I was scouting. I was, and, um, so that's how it started for me. And I started, I slowly started this offline baseball training business. Um, I, I to think about the things that happened to me across my career, I, I, you know, I don't know what I did for, for God to kind of move me in those directions, but he did, you know. And so um, I ended up working for Yogi Berra for 14 years, being his camp director, resident speaker at his museum. Um, I'd written, wrote, written books with, you know, great baseball people. I've had great opportunities. So all of that kind of culminated uh, in 2000. We put up our first website, which was selling a book and a DVD and, or a VHS at the time, a VHS, right. yeah, <laughs> which, which I had a whole system. Maybe we talk about that later. But I, I used to, you know, copy the VHSs and everything. And my mission was to end, end arm injuries, right? It was kind of at that time where arm injuries were starting to get more mm-hmm. um, common. And that was my mission. You know, I was going to end arm injuries. And that was our first product was a rehab product. And, um, that's how it started. That was in 2000. So 16 years later, we're very fortunate that, you know, that that's been, we're grateful for what the game has done and we're trying to make great products, put out great products. We're a publisher now and we have a newsletter that goes out to about 280,000 people every wow. day, which is weird, Yeah, you know, cause I kind of go back to that kid who failed off the baseball team and I pulled that VHS tape and it was uh, a Ron Polk. I'll never forget it. It was a Ron Polk VHS tape on first and third defenses. And just, it, it was like, this is this, it was like, you know, oh my goodness, like other people are talking and thinking about this stuff. And so when I think about that, that 280,000 people got my email this morning and it started off because I didn't pay attention in chemistry. <laughs> so <laughs> you, know? you never played again 
after high school? No, I mean, you, no, no. no. Okay. I certainly had my opportunities. And here's my, I will always tell every kid that I run into, um, any opportunity that I had in baseball, I blew it, you know, just because I wasn't paying attention to the things that were most important. You know, you're here in our facility where we do a lot of work with business owners and Mm -hmm. baseball coaches, guys like yourself, Mm -hmm. physical therapists, trainers. And I say, look, it's never, you know, there's that old thing. You never get bit by an elephant, right? But you get bit by tons of mosquitoes. And it was the little things. And and, uh, so I I was I was take that first part of my life as a cautionary tale. And I'm happy to tell it to kids and say, you know. Nobody likes going to school when they're 15, 16, 14, you know, in that age. But all the chances I had, I kind of blew because I wasn't able to keep my academics where they were. And I think about, too, sometimes that in today's day and age, that would have never happened to me. Because I would have been playing on some AAU team. Okay. You know what I mean? That wasn't monitoring grades. Right. You know, so I'm happy to, and we've told that in emails and videos, I'm happy if I could take one kid that's going to spend an extra half hour on the books and not have the problems that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that on this podcast we've talked about before going, uh, you can never get a full ride for baseball or at least not like a sports scholarship. If if, if you're going to get any kind of income towards a higher education, it's going to come from your education. It's going to come from the grades that you have. So work hard in school. I'll tell you just a little side note. I had two players, um, that went to Ivy league schools and, uh, both of them, when they applied as students, were rejected. Really? When they applied as baseball players, now they didn't get any, you mm-hmm. know, when they applied through the baseball, they both were accepted and they both graduated from Ivy League school. So the opportunities that are there today for kids, mm-hmm. um, I know this isn't what we're talking about, no, no. But, um, you know, <laughs> but um, you can get an education that's far beyond maybe what your academic qualifications right. will grant you by using this game. Right. So I'm, I, it's the first thing, you know, I always talk about that, you know, I used to, when I used to run my offline instruction, I, and kids, I used to make them bring a weekly report card. And if they dropped anything below a C, I made them sit there and bring their books while everybody else was training and working out. And so I, it's always been, I was happy to use my career as kind of a cautionary tale. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, how did you break in to the majors? Well, I was, I, I it's very interesting. I made, uh, over 1800 phone calls. Okay. So I had this system that I called every single team in baseball uh, every morning. I, had, I woke up 9 o'clock in the morning, and I got dressed, and I took a shower, and I smiled and dialed. And I was going to make this happen. And I, got, I called every single team 64 days in a row, and on the 65th day, I got a call back. Get out. And I coached, yeah, in, in rookie league for the Expos, okay. now the Nationals. Yeah. And um, that's how it started. Wow. I always tell everybody, you know, if, if you can um, – if – if I said to you at the end, if you just just do this, just do these 1800 phone calls and you'll get there, would people would do it? You know, not <laughs> a lot of people right? would do it. Right? right. So I had no I, I was told to go to go to hell. I was told to you know never call again. I was like, I'll talk to you tomorrow. What were you? So <laughs> when you called him up, what were you saying? Uh, Hi, my name is Paul Reddick. Uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, I don't remember the exact script because this is going back now over sure. 20 years. But uh yeah, I don't remember the exact script, but it was probably more lines like, yeah, I'm like interested in becoming a coach and who would I talk to and, you know. And, okay. <laughs> you know? Please, please, can you give me a please, chance? Yeah. I'm good at yeah, what yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So you, you um, when we spoke before, you said you started to, or you, you had been implementing a special program. Yeah. Um, and um, I was hoping that you could tell me more about that right, right now. And it what it's all about and for our baseball program yeah yeah so for our pitching program 
Um, you mean back when we started with? Yeah. Our, so when when <clears throat> you were in the majors, you no, I was said, never in the majors. Oh, not yeah, you, yeah, but, yeah. Okay, no. but <laughs> when you got into like the the major league, like the professional baseball. Yeah, yeah. Well, there there isn't a lower. I I, I was generally um, as a coach there. Uh, in in no way, shape, or form was I doing anything significant. Okay, you know what I mean. Okay. So any system that I applied was after. Was after the fact, yeah. So I was I was fortunate enough to uh, to work with Tom House for a little while. He did okay. a lot of clinics up here. Um, I kind of helped out where I could with him. We did a book together called The Picture Perfect Pitcher. So I was kind of in that system, and that was kind of a, a a great break for me. And that's really where my education really kind of took off. Okay, you know where I started to dive deeper into pitching okay. and making that like my specialty. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, now what um, this program that you used to use in the past called the called the five six yeah seven, five six right? seven yeah, yeah yeah okay what um how did you used to use that and maybe could you give us a little bit of a background of when you first started using yeah. it and what kind of yeah so apart from from the pitching side of it um i learned this process called called the five six seven process and i had this kid who we were um uh, i was coaching and you ever have a kid where um you know he's got it. The dad knows he's got it. The kid knows he's got it. And it's just like this. You're just buttoned up against this wall, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it almost becomes where the frustration becomes more important than like the – like it becomes more of an issue than what you're trying to do, right. you know? Right. So uh, I had learned this process. And I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this because nothing else is working here with this kid. So I, I, it's always done with the dads first. So the dads um, – uh, I sat down with the dad and, and just kind of said, well, you know, like, what are we doing here? You know, and his answers, his answers, well, I want to have great instruction for my kid. So the process of the five, six, seven is you continually ask the same question. Well, what's important about that to you? So um, as I dug down deeper, I said, well, what's important about great instruction? He's like, wants the kid to reach his dreams. That was number two. Number three, what's important about reaching his dreams? Wants to reach his full potential. And then it kind of got down to the end where his five, six, seven were, was that, he 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 wanted to he wanted to fulfill his mission as a dad to show his son love so that his you know he, that was he could fulfill his journey as a father mm-hmm. and so the most interesting thing happened there when he got down to the five six seven the you know the dad started kind of you know yeah. breaking up because it's deep stuff and um, uh, I, the kid was sitting on a chair the father was sitting on the bleachers the kid got off the chair and like put his arm around his dad. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm like, you know, I'm, and I look yeah. at the kid who was catching for me and he's like, you know, like we're all, but, but, the, but so, something very phenomenal happened is that the kid grabbed the ball, um, from my glove. Um, so just like my glove is sitting here, he grabbed the ball from my glove, put, pointed the catcher down there and he started throwing. And this kid is like spot, like his, his like spine shot up. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and you, you, you've seen it. Like when you see a pitcher, that's just in control in command, right? They got posture, they got presence, they got all that stuff going for them. And it was like, boom, a breakthrough. And as I'm going through that lesson, I'm thinking, this is probably the first time it has been articulated to, uh, in this way, you know, where all parents know, like, you know, you love your kid and stuff like that. But, and I, I, when I talk to kids about this, they will say, well, it's, you know, that's what my, it's my father or my dad is supposed to. But what happens is the five, six, seven helps people reach a deeper level. 
than they would not normally get. So one through four questioning is kind of like the surface level BS that we just tell ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like he didn't really want his kid to play in the major leagues. He didn't, he, what he really wanted to do is fulfill his mission as a dad because his, his son was everything to him. He wanted to show him how much he loved him. That was it. So swap out major league baseball and swap in checkers, swap in astronauts, swap in carpenter, swap in physical therapist, swap mm-hmm. in coach. And it, the rest of them would not change. You know what I mean? So once you kind of get to that deeper level, it's like the drive behind your drive. Okay. And so this is like, um, for me, where I'm kind of going down this path, we started a program called the 567 Pitcher. And where I see, uh, so the tagline is the what and the why. Mm -hmm. So we all know what, right? We all know that what we should do to eat right, to, to, um, uh, you know, to have a healthy body. So, but we don't do it. Right. You know, like, so what, you know, like, so what is it, what is that thing? And, it, and it's really kind of connecting to those words. And I've been on, um, really kind of a mission this week. I've already done it with 11 people. I've got six more scheduled today, six more scheduled tomorrow that really pushing to take people through this conversation. And <clears throat> even for the, even for the dads who are going through it, cause it's for the dads to do. Cause what happens is when, when I, when people hear about the five, six, seven, they grab their son and they say, Hey, you know, that thing you do, do it with my kid. Yeah. They said, no, no, that's not yeah. the way it works. Right. If you're a leader, you don't, leaders don't push, they pull. pull. They pull, right? So that, you know, the dads go first, and it's, and it's the kids, not the kids' responsibility to find a deeper meaning. It's the dad's responsibility to articulate exactly why they're doing what they're doing. So I've had um, lunatic baseball parents that we classify as lunatics, you know, say, in tears and say to me, I never thought of it that way. And I said, do you think, can you imagine if you never thought of it that way, do you think your son ever experienced it that way? And all of a sudden, like all the air comes out of the balloon. So I always ask this of coaches. Anytime a team is tight, I love this. And if any coaches are are listening to this, I'd be happy. Just, you know, we'll give email and stuff at the end. When your team is playing tight, I have a a thing that coaches can do to take them through the five, six, seven. So you've coached and you've been around, right? Would you want your team to be uh, tight and intense or loose and relaxed? Loose and relaxed. Okay. So then if you want your team to be loose and relaxed, take away the result. Take away the outcome mm-hmm. because the only time they get tight is when they're in, afraid, oh, right? They're afraid of the losing. Yeah, right. they're afraid of mm-hmm. losing. They're thinking of the outcome and not of the process, right? right. So when you're training guys and you're rehabbing guys, doing that stuff, you don't want them. Uh, if you're rehabbing a Tommy John, mm-hmm. that takes time, right? Sure. That takes time, mm-hmm. expertise, diligence, patience, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. And if a guy's going, I got to get on the mound. I got to get on the mound. I got to get on the mound. It interrupts you. Now you're focused right. on the outcome and not the process. When we all know, if you want to win games. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a team that's loose and relaxed, you will win games. So when I take coaches through five, six, seven, they will come up with their five, six, seven will be something like to raise value, uh, principle-centered men who, sh- who have values, six, who support their teammates. Or sometimes there's a spiritual belief in there too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I say, do you think your team knows that? Or do you think your team thinks that they got to win on Tuesday? Right. You know, or this tournament. So, uh, uh and, and kind of counterintuitive that if you if you coach principal and whatever everyone else's individual five six seven is when you coach principal center people who who live by a set of values or play by a set of values and who support each other teammates you're gonna win a lot of game baseball games. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And <laughs> that's actually a common theme on the show. It, there's a process right. that you have right. to go through. Focus on the process, no matter right. if it's. Uh, um, when you hit, we had Steve Springer on on, yeah, on the show. Sure. It's like Steve. take yeah. take out the outcome. You know, right. the batting average is the enemy. You know, focus That's on great. Yeah. focus on your process. <clears throat> yeah, um, Alan Jagger. Yeah, 
focus yeah. on your process, buddies, process, yeah. process, process, process. Yep. Outcomes will come if you focus on the process. So here's what, when I see like a five, six, seven, um, when I say you could swap out the, the top thing, right? Mm-hmm. The, the problem is, is that when we have somebody who, who goes through this process and their number one is major league baseball player, right? Mm-hmm. A young kid doesn't have the emotional intelligence to understand the difference between a vehicle and a destination. So they think that MLB, uh, that being an MLB player is, is the destination. That is the vehicle. So if I, so, so just, I'm sure the people that are watching on video can see it. You can still pick me up here if I walk away, right? Okay. So, <clears throat> so let's do a hypothetical one, right? So let's say that they want to do MLB, they want to be MLB player. You know, why do you want to do that for him to reach his dreams? Why do you want to do that? Uh, because, so he can reach his potential. Well, what's important to do that? So that he has opportunities, right? There's some jokes that I don't even know why I write stuff because nobody can read it anyway, but I can read it, you know? <laughs> so, so why do you want to have more opportunities? Like, cause, you know, because I want to have my child to have, be fulfilled, you know? So what's important to you about your child being fulfilled? You know, because I love my child because, you know, he's the world to me or that's my mission as a dad um, is what I get a lot of. So here's the thing. This is the vehicle. This is the, so thinking about your MLB career, thinking about your dreams, thinking about your potentials, these are vehicles. This is your destination. And what happens is, is that we confuse the vehicle of baseball with the destination. destination. Yeah. So now the kid thinks, so if you ask a 15-year-old kid, is, is baseball designed, so, what, so how old are you? You're uh, 34. 34, okay. Yeah. So I got you by, so I'm 43. When I, when I came up, it, baseball was a vehicle to teach kids values, teamwork, respect, honor. It's like the Little League pledge, right? I respect mm-hmm. my country, you know, the whole thing. And we lost that in thinking that this is a tool, that baseball is a tool that we are using to... Uh, teach these things. So baseball is a vehicle that we're using to show your son that you love him, to show that to complete your mission of dad, so that your so your son can have a fulfilled. And but the, but if you ask a 15 year old kid, what's the destination? Become a major league baseball player? No, it's the vehicle. Okay. I tell every coaches when I talk to coaches, um, and I mean this in the most ways that I don't even want when I talk to them. You know, I say I'm not interested in you. I'm interested in them. But the only way I can get to them is by teaching you. Right. And so that's, it does, it's not about you. Mm-hmm. It's about them. The gifts that we have as a player, your ability as a physical therapist, right, being one of the best guys that, that are out there, your gifts and your skills and your ability, your knowledge, it's not for you. It's for them. It's for Without them, them it's, it's, it doesn't go anywhere. It's nothing, right? Right, right, right. right. So how would you get um, – how would you teach either a coach or a mom or dad to kind of wrap their mind around this so they can kind of yeah. connect more with their – child so i'll use uh, an example from your world i can i can give i can you you can print out a sheet of exercises right yep and so people can watch this and they could do it mm-hmm. so if you print out a sheet of exercises you hand it to somebody versus them coming into your clinic and doing it with you which is going to be more effective uh definitely when they come in right not it's not even close right because right. mm-hmm. we right. you, you uh, in fact, we just did. Um, I think you know James Smith Smitty from Diesel Strength. He's I should do not, but oh but well, yeah. you should. Yeah, he's the man. Um, so uh, um, make sure we clip that and send that to Smitty. Uh, so um, so, but um, we did an audit of a kid's baseball training, 
you know, he, he's, he's, you know, a great strength guy. And, and, and just going through the exercise, the kids sent me a video going through the exercises. It wasn't the kids, um, uh, commitment that was there. It wasn't his dedication that was there. It wasn't his effort that was there. It was the way he was performing the exercises because he was trying to figure it out on his own. Right. Mm-hmm. So what I say to people like this is the best thing that I could do for anybody and what my kind of what I'm feeling called to do. My mission is to take people through this. You need somebody that's going to walk you through it. Right. You know, so that okay. good. It can go to five, six, seven pitcher dot com and okay. fill it out and see it and fill okay. an application. So okay. you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Absolutely. OK. Yeah. Um, is there an eight, nine and ten? Well, you can keep going deeper. OK. The problem is, is it gets kind of. Sure. Yeah. It gets, Maybe. Yeah. Repetitive and yeah, just and, and, same, and here's the thing is that most people stop at four, right? Because four mm-hmm. is like I said, the kind of the surface level BS. I actually did that the other week. I was yeah. kind of uh, after I was on on the phone with you. Yeah. Uh, we spoke about a week and a half ago. Yep. I had a mom and a player walk into my clinic, and I always e- examine these guys. I ask them what their their goals are. Well, I yeah. want to want to play in college throw harder, and I want yeah. to throw yep. harder. Yep. 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 And then uh, I asked the mom, I was like, what are your, what are your goals? And pretty much we got down to it. It, it was pretty much exactly this. Yeah. yeah. I think I stopped at number three because I was like, all right, I got some good stuff. Yeah. Potential. Cause I was, cause she, yeah. she wants him to reach his potential. Right. And that's where I, kind of stop so right. i'll probably need to well that's, that's practice for you so the guys that stuff. yeah the guys that come in here and train with us to to do this for for their athletes or for their players or or for whoever else they're serving um it takes some time it, yeah. it takes some time to to develop that rapport and here's the thing is that um i i look at it as there's like there's there's kind of an awkwardness sometimes to taking people to a level they've never been to but I never want to make my awkwardness get in the way of their breakthrough, you know, so that's, um, uh, and that, and, and it does go away. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that when you feel so, but most people will never think that way. So I've had been going through all these conversations and these are people that watched the video that saw the process and mm-hmm. still couldn't still couldn't get to that level. It, right. So it's just like that. It's just like a trainer. It's like, if you, if we, we go out and run, right, we're going to mm-hmm. run to, our threshold, right? Sure. Or we're, yeah. okay. But if you got somebody who's coaching you, who's going to say, okay, now right. pick it up. Now they're going to push you yeah. beyond that. They, and that's what it is yeah. that most people, they, their threshold is one through four. That's all they can think about, right. you know, but this is where the breakthrough comes in. So if you want to take away the, the pressure on the result, communicate the destination gotcha. and don't confuse the destination with the vehicle. vehicle. <clears throat> yep. Wow. Awesome stuff. Cool. Awesome Thank you. Stuff. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, Okay, let's uh, kind of switch gears just a little bit, and then we'll kind of uh, get back yep. to that. Um, I've heard you say that you're you're not throwing a pitch; you're performing a rep. Yeah, well, you're, you two things. Make, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the way I look at it is is this baseball, um, which those of you who are listening can't see, but here, this this is not a baseball. This is a weight. Right. So right. you guys understand this. Your, your yep. listeners probably understand this better that when you get this thing going, it's, it's about five pounds for every 10 miles per hour stress on the body. So a 70 mile an hour fastball all of a sudden becomes a 35 pound weight. So you get a kid who's 13 throwing a 70 mile an hour fastball, a 12 year old throwing a 70 mile an hour fastball. That's a 35 pound weight on he's throwing every single time. So when you think about that, um, 
I, I always do this exercise that if we were to go into a weight room and I were to, and you were to say somebody was doing curls, right? Um, and all of a sudden they start bending their knees and arching their back, right? Right. They get that look. What, what happened to the strength in their biceps? Absolutely nothing. It's done, right? right? They're done. Yeah. Like they're fatigued, right. and all of a sudden now they start and they start doing arbitrary reps mm-hmm. to complete whatever was written down on their thing, right. right? Which any good trainer in the world would say, if it's eight and you're done at eight, drop the weight. You're done at eight, right? Yeah, that either you need to lower the amount of reps you're doing or lower the weight, mm-hmm. right? Problem is we can't lower the weight, right? Right, the weight. So we're, <laughs> so we're, so we're stuck there. So um, when a kid. Uh, uh, doesn't have the strength to ability to move this weight, they will contort and they will bend their knees and arse the back and do whatever they can to get it done. Because no coach is going to say perfect reps, right? right. So, um, so I don't think of them as pitches. I think of them as reps. So you're moving a weight and it's reps. When we switch that and we change that uh, dialogue, which you get probably better than anybody, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That um, if somebody was doing this in your clinic – doing a, like this, doing a bicep curl and bending their knees, arching their back, you'd freak out. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you would, you would probably yell across the, the room, right? drop exactly. the weight, yep. stop, you're done. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that in baseball. We go out and say, can you finish the inning? Right. <laughs> you know, would you ever go to someone think you can finish out this set? Yeah. It's, it's about <clears throat> quantity at that right. point. Yes. Right? Yep. Which, which so, is not good. Yeah. So what I know, what I know is that and I can't explain this. Maybe you can. This actually might be good. So maybe okay. you could solve, solve some issues for me. Um, if we put a blindfold on a kid and we put 150 pounds on a curl bar, and we're not – I'm using curls as an analogy. It's always funny. When I do these things, people will email, like, how many curls should my kid be doing? No, no. It's just an analogy that everybody kind of gets. So, Three. Yeah. <laughs> that's the magic number. So if I, so I put a blindfold on – uh, on a kid, and I put 150 pounds on the curl bar, and I, I, I put the curl bar in his hands. In, in a nanosecond, right, his fingertips would sense and feel, and his brain and body would connect, and they would say, nope, can't do it, right? right? Don't have the strength. Right. Mm-hmm. But now if I say, hey, look, you've got to do it, right? Gun to the head philosophy. Well, how would they do it? They would, it would, and they would yank it up, or they would use momentum, right? right? They'd use everything that they could. Right. So anytime I see a pitcher contorting or using momentum, I know that pitcher doesn't have the strength to perform, to move this weight mm-hmm. with perfect reps. So they change their, they contort, right? They change their mind. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. I think when a kid picks up this baseball, they can't articulate it, but they know what it's going to take out of their body intuitively. Just like when they touch that weight, that 150 pounds, they knew mm-hmm. I can't do this too heavy. When they touch that weight, uh, when they grab this, they know, they say, Hmm, I'm going to, I know what I, my body's going to, Whatever that is, right, the, 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 the miracle of the body, mm-hmm. however that works, is going to contort and, to, and to, to get this done. And that's when you see bad reps. So as a, as a physical therapist, an mm-hmm. expert in this, when you add in uh, a too heavy of a weight, too many reps with imperfect form, what do we get? Injury. <laughs> and now we wonder, right? Now yep. We wonder why we're in this position yeah. um, as, as, as coaches that there's nobody – um, and, and so, so this, the, thir- the, the third thing I was talking about is, is that it's the reps, but it's also the recovery. And this is the mystery. I, I can't figure out why this is like it is. We understand that a pitcher who pitches on Monday can't pitch again till Saturday. Right. So let's just use major sure. leagues. Everybody mm-hmm. gets right. That right. there needs to be a, a certain recovery period of time there. Um, 
but we now when we measure, so we measure that by days, right? We measure that in increments, in, in intervals, right? right? So it's one every five days is an interval. Mm-hmm. So when we think about pitch counts, though, we don't think of them in intervals. Right. We think of them as totals, right? right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like saying a pitcher can throw 35 games this year. Let's throw them 35 games in a row. No, we've never, that would be right. insane. But when we say a pitcher can throw 100 pitches today, we never think about how fast they arrive at that total. So there's the total itself. So let me uh, just write over this. So if I gave you, let's say I gave you a couple scenarios. Talk about a couple things with pitch counts. One scenario is I could show you a pitcher that throws 30 or 50 pitches and is, is done versus the pitcher threw 120 pitches and is totally safe. So here's the scenario. So let's say scenario one is pitcher throws 35 pitches in inning one, right? Okay. His team goes down one, two, three. How long does that take? Seven minutes? Not, not, not eight long. minutes? Yeah. Right. Okay. So now this kid is probably fatigued at this point. My argument would be he's probably done. That okay. would be my argument. Okay. So let's say, let's say he goes out there and throws another 25. That's 60 pitches. The clicker says he can throw however many more the clicker says he can throw. Sure. This kid was probably done at 35. Pitcher two throws 15 in the first inning. Team gets a runner on, scores mm-hmm. a run. Has a good break. Then he throws another 15. Same thing. Another 15. Same thing. This kid could go to 120 with no problem because he did it in manageable reps with adequate rest in between. So here's now here's where it gets tricky. Let's say he throws 15 pitches in the first inning and his team goes down one, two, three, and he's back out there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now his rest period was shortened. Right, so what do you now? You know, you add your expert opinion in here. Mm-hmm. If you're, if a kid's, if a kid's not ad- having adequate rest between sets, what happens? They will probably start to compensate because they're going to start to break down a little bit. They're yep. not at the strength level that they need. They they haven't returned their um, c- capacity to the level that they need. So right. they, they haven't recharged <clears throat> the battery. So breakdown. Right. That's the key. Every every baseball coach in the world knows the word. Oh, he's breaking down. He's, he's not breaking down. He's not re, he didn't recover enough. And so now we're in a situation where they're trying to speed up the game of baseball, which I'm like, I know that's great for TV ratings and stuff like that. I get it. But this is not great for pitchers. If we're worried about our right. pitching injury epidemic, we should not be having conversations about speeding up the game of baseball. So how do you combat this? So as this has got to be a team-wide theory and a team-wide thing because if a pitcher goes out and throws 35 pitches in the first inning, he needs – as much time as he can to recover. So this very simple system is green, yellow, red, right? So if, we, if he throws 35 pitches in the first inning, we're red. That means the hitters are, gonna, are not going to sprint up to the plate. They're going to walk up to the plate. They're mm-hmm. going to click their cleats. They're going to look down for signs. They might ask for time, right? They're going to buy an extra pitcher time. Right? Buy the pitcher time. I'm not saying delay the game. Right. <laughs> Just like I, I, was, I've been a, I had a video, like, never throw a scuffed ball. But if one comes to you scuffed, right. <laughs> you know, hey, that's the way the game goes. No, so, so never delay the game. But there's, there's – so if, if I'm asking my kids, would I rather have the umpire yell at them and delay at the game or would I run a pitcher out there who's not recovered and risk of injury? I'll let the umpire be mad at me. Be, be mad right. all you want. I'm right. going to protect my pitcher. I'm going right. to protect the young arm that's been entrusted in my care every time. The umpire gets as mad as he wants. So – so a red means we're going to give him more time. So let's say it's a seven-minute break, an eight-minute break, and we can extend that break by two minutes. 
it sounds like two minutes, but that's a 25% increase in recovery time. So you know what happens mm-hmm. that, right? It, yeah. You know? We're actually <clears throat> doing some studies, I say we, but the, uh, the com- community that I'm involved in and uh, the researchers down at University of Pennsylvania, yeah. they're looking into specifically recovery and what happens, like Beautiful. How, how many, they haven't really gotten into increments yet. They're yeah. just kind of. This is completely new. So right. you're kind of one step ahead of where. But doesn't everyone, it sound like it's so yeah, common in right, your in your world right, every day? Right. This is like it would be insane. Like to, to, to say to someone, rush them back out there, rush them back to the weight okay. stand or something. You'd be like, no, <laughs> that's that's insane. But in baseball, we're like, let's go, boys, hustle, hustle, right. hustle, hustle, and the pitcher's running out there, and we're not thinking about how the pitcher's recovering. But we get it in a macro. We get it in the macro. He needs five days, right? right? He, right. I don't understand why I don't, we don't get it in, in the micro, that it's not the total pitches that they throw. It's how they arrive at the total. And it's not, and it's not the, the – it's how much time they have to recover in between. So let's say this pitcher – let's say pitcher two throws 15 pitches. Team goes down one, two, three. We might be a yellow going out on the field. Take a little time because okay. we went down one, two, three. Let's say he throws 25 pitches. And we go down one, two, three. Oh, we might be a red. We might be slowing down. If he throws 35 pitches and the first two guys hit grounders on the first pitch, that third hitter needs to know that we can't let the offense over, run over our pitchers. So we can't let the speed of the offense burn out the, the pitchers. Because we all know that one pitcher can, can take on nine hitters, right? right? And so we've seen what a dominant pitcher can do. This is a completely different way to look at the game. Right. Yeah. Right. But your world makes total yeah, sense. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's, I mean, that's to me, it's like the application of this is a weight. We're performing a rep. So if, if the, the baseball is a weight, the, the, the motion, the, the pitch is a rep, the innings are sets. And so when you organize them like that, we don't, have, you, we don't have, obviously don't have the control that you would have when you're training a player, but we got to do what we can. We can't just say, ah, oh, it's just the way of the game. I, I, to me, that's just lazy. Right. You know, we can right. think about it better. Um, and the clicker, the clicker to me has been the, uh, uh, I, I admire what the, what the uh, people at Little League is trying to do with pitch counts. I get what they're trying to do. They're trying mm-hmm. to minimize the total right. reps thrown. I get it. But this kid who throws 35 pitches, they makes so many bad assumptions there. They assume all pitchers are equal. Right? So, mm-hmm. You know, how many guys have you got coming to your clinic that just came from a doubleheader basketball game? And now they're coming right. to rehab. You know what I mean? Now right. they're coming to rehab. So they're not all the same. Right. They all don't throw the same number of bullpen pitches. They all don't throw the same number of in-between pitches. Mechanically, they're not the same. Mm-hmm. Strength-wise, they're not the same. A heavy thrower with bad mechanics can do a lot of damage in a short number of pitches. Mm-hmm. A, a strong thrower with good mechanics can throw a lot more pitches. I understand that's harder to do, but I was on a podcast with Pete Caliendo a couple weeks ago. And, and the, the excuse I've always run into is, well, who's going to teach all that stuff? We will. Mm-hmm. If they ask us, they don't ask right. us. Right. You know? So we have a, we have a, a poll. 280,000 people are listening to what we say. We have a poll. And if Little League or USA Baseball or ASMI came to us and said, hey, we need your help in developing a message that we could distribute. Pete said he'd do it. I'm sure you would do it. Yep. I would do it. We'll all do it. But they, they're, struck, they're stuck in the structure of their organization. So if their organization can't handle it, they say, well, we're going to do what we can. Instead of enlisting the people that have always built this game, 
Now, we're a business. You know, we, we, we're a publishing business, so we operate a business. But I will never <clears throat> forget what has built this game from the ground up in America is volunteers. Mm-hmm. Right? My dad, yeah. every Sunday morning, mowed the lawn at the Little League till the time he died. Um, that spirit, regardless of what the tournament industry, people like us, you know, the publishing and stuff like that, we still have that spirit of volunteerism. It'll still work. Yeah. You know, if, if, if we're asked, asked to participate right. in, in something. Well, yeah. I would love to help you out <clears throat> with that. So, yeah. um, and I'm sure between us two and everyone else that can see that, that can yeah. conceptualize that. It's such a simple formula. Yeah. It's just, it's just getting down to educate the coaches. Of, hey, look, this kid can go here. Here's what to look for. Here's what to be mindful mm-hmm. of. Here's where a kid could be potentially in danger. Right. You know, and then if somebody like yourself explained it, you know, you could probably do a much more articulate job than I could of explaining sets and reps sure, and weight. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we can grasp that concept, I think what we'll see and what you know is that when you have the appropriate weight and the appropriate and the good technique and in the appropriate rest ranges, mm-hmm. you have now success success right right. Mm -hmm. so it's just an application of it and uh yeah that's where we are you know it's 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 always been a frustration of of mine to um that our platform doesn't get uh doesn't get at utilized as as much as we would be willing to utilize it Mm -hmm. right yeah Interesting stuff. Because the USA, but when, when it came out, the pitch count thing, it also, it, it also to me is the Little League World Series to me. I, I admire everything that they do. But, you know, it's become such a, 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 a kind of a carnival, you know, where, you know, now I think they're covering like regular season games now. Little League, you know, it's like I don't even, it used to be one game, right? right. The Saturday morning, yep. the Little League championship. But I see guys managing and gaming the pitch counts. Well, if we pull him at 64 pitches, he can come back whenever. Right, exactly. But if he throws right. one, one more, more. he's, he's, <laughs> he's out. He's, he's got to wait, wait a week. Yeah. Yeah. He's not, that one more pitch will make him. And it's like, uh, to me, it's like, that's not what it. That's not what it should be about. Right. 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 So hmm. that's my philosophy on it. So, so let's go off of that. So say we're st- still on this antiquated system that we're mm-hmm. using. This, this hasn't been implemented widespread yet. Um, why do you say that the first sign, and I just went over this with a mom, but yeah. I want to hear from your, your, yeah. your, your point of view. Why do you say the first sign of injury is a reduction in performance? So I look at baseline and anomaly, right? Okay. So, um, when you are doing, uh, any time, well, when you have a breakdown in form in your in your clinic, mm-hmm. right, you know that the performance of that exercise is being compromised, Correct. right, and the benefit of it is being compromised, Correct. right. So you know what to look for, right, right. So you what you would classify as a breakdown in form, right. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the body. You don't look at the weight, right. You don't look at the barbell, right, or the right. band or whatever you know modality right. you're using. Mm-hmm. But when pitching coaches, they don't, they look at, was it a ball or a strike? They don't look at the pitcher. Is there a breakdown in form? Because if there's a breakdown in form, just like that guy with the curl, his chance of injury skyrockets. 
So if there's a breakdown in form, I would want the pitching coaches and the dads here to say, if my kid starts losing control around the plate, his risk of injury goes up. They should tattoo that into their brains, right? When he starts to lose control, his risk of injury goes up. He's either, he either his weight was too heavy or he right. did too many reps. He fatigued too quickly. He was yep. getting too tight. Yep. Somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So using the analogy of the kid with the curls, so let's say, let's say we have this kid who loses performance around 65 pitches. There's, we never go back out and say, uh, well, let me, let me ask you this. So let's say you have a kid who's doing curls. Again, we're not advocating curls. <laughs> but you have a kid who's doing it's, curls. Uh, but it's, it's the beginning of August. It's right in time for the beach. Right, Maybe right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I understand we're not going to talk a 16-year-old kid off curls. I, I get that. But, um, but just, just right. so you know, it's just as an analogy. Right. So um, uh, if that kid fatigues every time at 8, would you keep running him out there for 12? No. What would you do? I would stop him at eight. And then what would you do the next set? Um, I would probably, well, I would really monitor him. So yep. I, I would say, um, let's see if we can get back to that same level or we're going to stop when your form starts to break down. Right. So if a kid consistently shows at eight, his form breaks down, what would you adjust the sets to? Well, it depends on the outcome that I'm trying right. to achieve so if he so you're saying that he constantly breaks down at eight yep he's got eight that's it now am i trying to get to 12 reps well, but, or, but, or? but my point would be is that like the next the first step would be let's let's do seven perfect ones okay you know what i mean like right. let's let's do seven perfect ones and then if you want him to get to eight to ten or to twelve you got to train him hmm. right you've got to spend the time to train him to get him stronger and it's not just in his biceps right right so I, I'm not going to attempt this. What muscles go into doing a, a bicep curl? Well, the bicep is actually uh, the weakest of the elbow flexors. That there's right. a muscle that's deep to the bicep called the yeah. brachialis. That's the primary yeah. elbow flexor. But um, you could switch the weight around and do like a hammer curl that works right. more of a another muscle that helps to flex the elbow. Yeah. But yeah. yeah you, so you can try to uh, well, you know, and you'll if you have a weak core you're not gonna be able to stabilize right so, so so there's could be a lot of issues not right. just the bicep right. but when we think about the kid so i'm, I'm gonna i'm coming stay with me yep. on this one i'm gonna come back to it but we think about it when a kid doesn't can't uh when a kid has reached the t- fatigue and his form starts to break down and he starts to, the first anomaly is is lack of control we then he needs arm strength Right. Right. So where, you know, when you when you're doing a bicep curl, it's it's quads, it's calves, it's glutes. Right. It's everything is kind of stabilizing to move that the same thing the body does. Right. When you're pitching. Right. The body's got to work together. So you got to train him. So what we never see in baseball is when you're doing the curls with the kids and he breaks down at eight, you're not going to push him to nine. You're going to maybe pull him out at seven and then build him up. Mm-hmm. strength do other things to build strength around that exercise we don't do that in pitching we run him out there to see if he can go to the same level he went before instead of saying you know what he's broken down at 65 pitches for the last five starts let's shoot a goal for him today at 55 and let's get him out of there before his risk of injury increases and then also too, forget about the fact that when his performance starts to go down he's gonna be more susceptible to blow out to you know to getting ripped and getting hit let's 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 put this kid in a situation let's take our responsibility as coaches which is not to win games and win tournaments and win plastic trophies it's to raise kids and to develop values and to keep kids safe and let's let's do let's let leave that kid um 
let's let him leave the game uh, before he's uh, fatigued. <coughs> Excuse me. Before he's fatigued, before he breaks down, and before he opens himself up to getting ripped, you know, late in the game. And then all of a sudden we got confidence issues, self-esteem issues, and all right. that. So that's my argument. I don't gotcha. know if, that, if we brought that all the way home, but the first right. for me, the first sign is when a kid starts to lose control, don't go out there and see if he can finish. Don't end the batter. I, I, I see this from coaches all the time where they say, I didn't want to pull him because he wanted to <laughs> play. Of course he wanted to play. play. And Everyone if you let him choose dinner tonight, he would eat a five-pound bag right. of M&Ms. You know what I mean? That's why we're adults. That's why we're parents. You know, that's, that's, that's our job is to make these decisions yeah. for kids. And to bring this full circle, I just had this conversation with a, a mom and her son. Um, he played in two tournaments, so he's a right-handed pitcher, 15 years old, yep. um, lost. He was a starting pitcher um pitched for two tournaments in a row i guess that was two or three games yep in a row yeah and um noticed that he lost command he wasn't able to throw strikes and then after the weekend he went to throw again on a monday yeah and he started to develop pain in his elbow yeah so there you go there you go. I, you know, I get we get requests all the time from people that want me to do pitching lessons with them. I won't do a pitching lesson because the reason why I won't do them is because I think they're horribly ineffective. They would be very effective for our business. You know what I mean? Sure. They would be very effective for our business to do a pitching lesson. But the only thing that I would do if I were not to say that I wouldn't work with a pitcher, but I'm not. I, I have people that want to come in and say, I want you to work with my son for. You know, we'll come in, we'll do a pitching lesson, we'll fly in, fly out, and you do a pitching lesson. I won't do it. Because in that, let's go back into the weight room. Let's talk about curls again. So in that moment where that guy is out of strength, are there any words that you could give him, right? You know, you're expert, you know as much about it. Are there any words that you could give him to make him stronger? If he's completely out of strength? Yeah, I mean, he's just, he's going to bend his knees, arch his back. No. No, no. Right now, obviously, if there's a serious flaw in his technique, his grip or something, but we're assuming that there's no serious flaws. So when I have a kid who can't duplicate perfect form at all, at all, right? Because most I'm seeing dozens of pictures every week on video. I just don't don't see it. You know what I mean? I see kids who are who, who pick up this weight. They know it's too heavy so they can tort right from the beginning to get it done. Right. It's just like we put 100 pounds in their hand. That's right. the equivalent of doing this. So if if I, if if the problem is strength, why am I going to a pitching coach? Right now, bear in mind, I am a pitching coach. Right. You know what I mean? But so I, I sit, I look at the 280,000 people we communicate to and there's there's a deep responsibility. I feel for that. Um, I, I, I tell my, my staff all the time. Five years ago, we could have sold a course called the Tim Lincecum secrets and we would have sold thousands of those but i wouldn't have been able to sleep at night i came out strong against that motion i'm coming out strong now against uh jake arietta's motion and i did it with dice k and Pryor and straussberg and bonderman and i all the way i we could make a, a a killing selling courses around that i won't do it because i know that First of all, copying another person's delivery is not good anyway. We could talk about that. But I know that most pitchers don't need a pitching coach. Most pitchers need a strength coach. And the best situation is for a guy like me and a guy like you 
for, for me to say, me to have a pitcher and say, Chris, I have this pitcher. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, here's, uh, here's what he looks like. Here's what I want him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, can you evaluate him to see what's standing in our way from mm-hmm. him doing that? Yeah. You know, because now all of a sudden I could tell you, I want his, his arms to be here. I want his power angle to be here. I want this to be here. And now you could say, so we have a very popular teach called the power angle, right? Mm-hmm. If that kid's got a tight ankle, right? He can't do it. Right. But that tight ankle, if he can't get into that power angle, it affects the rest of his delivery. Right. Right. And we're trying to fix him with his arm and his mm-hmm. pitch counts when he needs. Now I will. I'll give a standing bet. I'll give $100 to any pitching coach with no prior medical, your type of stuff, no prior, I'm talking about a guy like me, pitching coach. I'm actually disqualified because I was a certified personal trainer and all that. I know a little bit about this. Any pitching coach in the world that can come to me and tell me that they can fix an ankle like you can fix an ankle. Not a chance in hell. Sure. Not a chance. But right. what do they do? They go to the pitching coach who says, you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Do this. Do that. Nope. Try this. That's not it. That's not bad. Try this. Then the kid throws a strike by sheer <laughs> movement of the planets. That's what I'm looking for. That's Let's it. Let's do that again. Yeah. Let's go. do that again. Now you got it. And then the ball goes, nope, nope. You went back to the other way. You know? No, it's just the planets aligned for a second. The kid threw a couple strikes. And every once in a while, he has a good game. And they you know, so the best scenario I would do my message to pitching coaches and my message to guys who are sending their kids to pitching coaches, you better go find a guy like yourself, like Chris, go find a physical therapist, go find a competent personal trainer, right. not a guy who owns a gym. Right? right. And I work with a lot of gym yeah. owners. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're talking about a competent personal trainer who understands that you're performing a high velocity movement on multiple repetitions every five days in sets and reps on a slope (laughs) (laughs) and Mm -hmm. can show you how to prepare for that. Yeah. And the pitching coach and the, and the trainer can get together or the physical therapist can get together and they can make a difference. If you were a pitching coach, you should do everything in your power to make guys like Chris, your best friend because they will keep you employed. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, but, but isn't, that, oh. isn't that the thing? It's like mm-hmm. we, you, you see here in our office, right, we have the Leaning Tower of Pisa there. <clears throat> if we're going to fix that, um, should we say, uh, why don't we uh, move over that top floor? Just move over the top floor. Right. <laughs> or do we need a builder to come in? We need a builder right. to come in. So right. we don't need words. We need a builder. And pitching coaches aren't builders. Pitching coaches are architects. So I can come to you with the plans. Here's what I want. Can you help me build this kid? And what happens is this. If you go with the architecture and then you go to a builder and a builder, uh, no, when, a, when the building goes up and it's a beautiful building, they don't say, boy, that guy laid the cement perfectly. Right. They bring in the architect. Like, isn't this right. a beautiful design? So I think we did this before. You know, it's kind of funny because so my, my wife, when she – was originally uh, when she got into college, she was on the architecture route, and she actually yeah. graduated with a degree in architecture. She actually ended up uh, sw- switching over uh, into my world, actually, actually into physical therapy. So yeah. she's a pediatric physical therapist. Yeah, uh, she's great at what she does. Absolutely fantastic. But yeah. um, what I have been told by her and other architects is that the architects will come up with these designs. They'll go to the builder and the builder's like, we can't do that. Or right. 
that's not possible. This won't be strong enough. This, this, and this, and then this yeah. and that. So, so th- that's the thing. It's like now we're going to argue over the architecture, right? right. So um, uh, he- here's here's my take on it. You know the rocker drill? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll do this because we're videotaping, and you guys will figure out a way for the people who are listening to get a videotape. So in the rocker drill, you preset your feet, right? And then you kind of rock back, rock forth, do the rocker drill. There, there isn't a pitcher in the world that doesn't look beautiful in the rocker drill. Every pitcher. You know what's very funny, too, is that I've dealt work with some uh, submarine guys. And when you set them up in the rocker drill, they don't go submarine. <laughs> they go normal. Yeah. Okay. Right? Because submarine is kind of a gimmicky thing sure. they're doing. You know? mm-hmm. um, so if – and this is where you focus your instruction. Okay? So when <coughs> – excuse me. When uh, – when we have the rocker drill, the reason why they look perfect in the rocker drill is because their feet are preset, right? Mm-hmm. So if they do everything perfectly with preset feet, right? So I rock back and forth. My glove stays in front. My spine is wrong. My, my eyes are level to the horizon. I, I, my, my arm slot's good. I pop up over. The, the finish mm-hmm. looks good. Everything looks good, right? Why doesn't it then make sense for us that our instruction should be doing everything we can to deliver them to that spot, mm-hmm. right? Because right. if they can do it when they get to that spot, then there's something happening before that's preventing them. So, so what I often see is guys do the rock drill, then they go back and throw, and then they're doing all this kind of stuff and spin and stuff like that. So the, the flaws that we see, okay, so we see a kid whose head goes out like this, mm-hmm. whose arms up like this, their arms back, which has a lot of different problems with it, or, or they're flying open like this. This is all setup stuff. So when I see a guy who's throwing like this and the pitching coach says he needs to change his arm slot. And now the kid is trying to do this with his arm, but it's like telling the leaning tower of Pisa, which we can use this model here. It's like taking the leaning tower of Pisa and saying these just just this should just be straight. Let's just make this straight. Right. It it sounds silly when you have it, but it's it. This is how we have to fix it. When we fix this, everything else falls into line. So my theory is that everything from the the first movement of your delivery to when your foot hits the ground is the only things you can teach and the only things you should teach. So when you talk about arm slot, arm angle, even the separation of your hands and the timing, when guys are talking about the position of arm in the delivery, I want to like... Because what happens is you think about this. If, if I take a, a reverse rotation, right, I reverse away from home plate. Now I'm going this way and I'm coming here. Do you think that's going to affect what I'm going to put my arm in a position to do? Sure. Versus going forward. Mm-hmm. So now we're trying to fix it with the arm. Right. When we should be fixing it right here and moving forward. Yeah. Right. So all of these things kind of become a problem because we don't address the things we can address. So if your coach is teaching arm slot. Release point, head, follow through, kick, leg kick, foot drag even. Foot drag is a new thing that is directly related to the length of your stride. That's it. And the length of your stride, it's directly related to your first movement. So in the first movement of our delivery, when we lift, we are on one leg for the first second. Right? One leg is supporting us all the way through. When that front foot lands, all hell breaks loose. So... There was research out of um, Rod Dato baseball that the movements happen after foot strike are happening <coughs> excuse me, at 1 250th to 1 750th of a second. 
So I tell, I tell coaches, if you can do that, go to NASA. Or right. go to Vegas. Like, do, do something at least out of uh, betterment of society or for personal gain with that ability you have to make changes in one 250th of a second. Mm-hmm. So, but we can, what we can do is work on the setup. So this is where um, I look at when you're supporting you're on your right leg for one second of delivery. Now, and we're talking about arm, and I'm talking about ankle. And they look at me like I'm a lunatic because we're talking about the only thing that's supporting your body, right? right? So, that, so I always like to keep this handy, right? So, so how is the first brick laid? That's going to determine how the rest of the structure goes, right? right? So if we're, not, if we're doing something wrong early in the delivery, it's going to multiply and manufacture into, some, into something bad late in the delivery. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, my, my – I want to – I try and get things down to like how can we affect the most change or can we just – start talking about all this, all this stuff, stuff right. we talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about 36 years ago that uh, the first Tommy John surgery was performed. Mm-hmm. So in 36 years, we have had the best baseball and medical minds working on this solution. <laughs> if Healthy Arms were a company, kind of makes you think. Yeah, we'd be out of business because it's, it's going in the wrong, wrong direction, direction, right? Right. So, um, long story, you know, to come around to, um, I even forget what was the original question. <laughs> uh, let's see. The, the, the architecture. Yeah. 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 So, so to me, that's my, uh, like, I know guys that I'm friends with, we argue about this and, and I kind of look at it and say, you know, provide me with the facts, not kind of the theory. Right. You know, the other thing I will say is that make sure that we're not preparing for velocity, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because uh, when I see a lot of training, I see it based on producing a, a high velocity movement. But pitching is is not shot put; it's not javelin, where you're going to do it once or twice or three times. Right? Pitching is is a is a is a high level skill that when you perform an intricate strength movement, right? When you add speed to it. What happens? It starts to break down. starts to break down. So we obviously, we have to go at a high velocity. We're moving down a hill. But I think there's a big misconception. And I've seen this show up big time. I get a lot of calls. I get a lot of emails. And I, I am very good at, I don't talk out of school. You know? So when I get somebody who calls me and trusts me and wants I- information, uh, it's not going to be in an email. It's not going to be, you know what I mean? I don't talk right. out of school. So uh, uh, what I hear is that guys are being trained for the act of pitching and not for pitching right okay. so for the act of pitching i would say it's like training for a deadlift versus 100 deadlifts it's right. different weight different right different training endurance mm-hmm. right it's different things so we get guys that can put on displays in the weight room all over youtube can chuck a 10 pound medicine ball 100 miles an hour from three feet away on a, but they can't throw strikes and they can't th- and they can't be healthy so we've kind of been mixed up with a lot of these velocity programs. We're not a velocity program. We are an effectiveness and efficiency program. And we find that we have that there's so much uh, um, uh, inefficiency in pitching motions. Well, you could probably relate to this, too, that if you see somebody who's lifting a certain amount of weight, like, say, in a deadlift, if you can change their form and adjust their form and give their proper form, what happens to their weight? It will go up. It goes up. Same thing we do. That's what we do. We are not a velocity program in what it has become. We are saying, let us, let's optimize what you have now. 
before you go and start chucking 30-pound medicine balls right. at high velocities because as Gray Cook said, my favorite quote is, don't put strength on top of dysfunction. And I have met very, very few pitchers that I would feel safe with them doing very high volume of heavy weight and chucking uh, medicine balls in a full range, you know, full throw right. like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't remember what the question was on there either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that, that's, that's, that's kind of um, – uh, I just tend to think of it from a perspective of um, uh, we're not just training for uh, total velocity. And I think that's where a lot of training is geared around, you know, is how hard can we do this act of pitching when it's not the, the act in producing the most velocity is not how you get hitters out, right? It's repeating that over and over, over, again, and over again, consistent right. release point, consistent mechanics supported by strength. I think a lot of people make the assumption that if someone, if, if this person can throw 90 miles an hour, then, <clears throat> yep. then they will be able to do it repetitively over right. and over again. Well, it's so. kind of like, can I, can I deadlift more with bad form? If I round my back and I pull up, I could probably pull a little bit more than if I did it with... Right, if the goal was to lift the weights off the floor. Right, right. 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 But, what, but what was, do I do? Right. How long am I going to be able to do that? Not very long. Not long, not right. long, right? So that's right. what we're seeing. We're seeing pitchers that are coming off Tommy John surgery, not pitching, and then the first time they go pick up a baseball in spring training again, three weeks later they're getting Tommy John surgery. Right. So you know, right, yeah. that, that, that ligament is when it gets – is not snapped. It's not like a twig breaking, right? It's frayed and it gets mm-hmm. – it's, so right. it's generally an overuse injury, mm-hmm. overuse with bad mechanics, too right. many reps with bad mechanics. Um, but so when a pitcher has Tommy John surgery, takes a year off and then comes back – and I've gotten several of these – and then comes back and starts throwing again and they, and they need it again, yeah. that is a problem because mm-hmm. now we are not talking about overuse. Right. You know, so, um, again, I don't remember where we were going. With no, that, we're just going <laughs> just all over yeah. the board now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But my, my, I, I just want, I just, I think about, and, and uh, a criticism of our program is that it's so simple. And I take that as a compliment. We work very, very hard to make it that simple. Make it simple. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> and so I get it. When a coach goes through our program or a dad goes through our program and they've been given lessons, getting lessons from a guy and the guy there's given lessons to, they say, well, this guy said you should do this. That guy doesn't know anything. I get it. I get it why they, you know, you just took a grand off of a kid for 20 lessons. and You don't want to say, hey, remember all that, those lessons they gave you? Forget it. We're doing it it this way. Um, So my my offer is uh, we're we're doing now, uh, we've done a few of these in the past, but now we're going to start doing more consistently, have monthly um, seminars here for dads and coaches, absolutely free, awesome. absolutely free. I'm, uh, I've kind of got just, uh, I feel like it's again, our, what we're called to do. So we can, you're looking out here, we can hold like 18, 20 people comfortably and we're going to, we'll give you donuts and bagels and yeah. whatever else you think should be on the menu over there, Andres. <laughs> and, um, uh, and we'll just have a very informal discussion where we can help educate people. And I want the coaches to come in. I want the coaches to come in. And I always say to every coach, call BS on everything I say, mm-hmm. everything I say, and make me explain it to you because I've been thinking about this for 23 years. I want to be involved. Okay. Yeah. August 28th. We're having our first one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, come yeah. on down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would love to be up here because yeah. I want to be able to help maybe bridge the gap a little bit. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, we'd love to have yeah. you here. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So we're, we're going to have more um, 
I'm going to try and try and do them at least seven, eight times a year, if okay. not if not more. Okay. We'll just get together on a Sunday morning and have some coffee and, and talk about baseball. Where can people go to sign up for this event or sign up yeah. for events in, in, so the, in the future? Thing, so the thing I'm most passionate about is the five, six, seven pitcher. Okay. So um, – so I'll give two places. I know some people Come back around to that. Yeah. yeah I yeah, know some people yeah. don't want to go that route. That's, yeah. that's fine. So the five, six, seven pitcher.com is what I'm most passionate about right now. And I'm really putting all my efforts into, um, if you just kind of want to bypass that, which I suggest you don't, but if you do, you can go to, um, party baseball VIP. Okay. Um, and that's our full catalog. And we publish stuff by a lot of great baseball people. Um, Alan Jager, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Lau, Ron Wolforth, Brent Strom, uh, Tom Hansen. These are a lot of my mm-hmm. baseball buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, so that's kind of where all of our products are. And that's where you would see uh, events. But if you got on our on our email list, mm-hmm. you would get updates on those events. Okay, so go to yep. Paul Reddick Baseball. VIP. VIP. Yep, paulreddickbaseballvip.com. Or 567pitcher. And yep. sign up to the email list. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, Paul, I appreciate this. Oh, this, awesome. This has been awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, I cannot thank you enough for inviting me No, this is great. A lot of fun. I actually think I kind of invited myself up here. I was like, That's okay. <laughs> hey. Uh, That's okay. Let's get together. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. This, this has been very awesome. uh, eye-opening for me, and I hope for the listeners out there that it's been very eye-opening for you. So, Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. I'm grateful. Grateful for the opportunity. All right, man. All right. Thanks. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Paul Reddick, bringing the good stuff, bringing a fresh perspective on things. I hope you were able to think about that stuff and understand it, and uh, hopefully you can start putting it into action. And I trust Paul. He he's he's all about the kids. He's all about our. He's all about the advancement. Our the players. We want them to succeed. But he's all about doing it in a safe and positive way. So I'm very grateful to Paul and his assistant Andres for letting me crash their facility at kind of a last minute. So thank you very much. And if you want to learn more about any of Paul's programs and the products that he believes in, especially the 567 pitcher, then I would definitely urge you to head over to drchrismckenzie.com. That's D R Chris McKenzie, M C K E N Z I E.com forward slash Paul Reddick, R E D D I C K, one word. And you'll find all the information that you need to in the show notes. And I would encourage you, check out 567 Pitcher. I think it's really going to change your mindset and uh, the outcome of how your son, your athletes, even you as a player, attack this game with a fresh perspective. It's going to change you. So thanks for listening. If you want to leave a comment, go ahead. And I'll see you guys soon.